Hello and welcome to Bold Leadership. I'm Colin Pooler, your co-host, and along with Cavis Reed, we're dedicated to the discussions of leadership. We have entertaining conversations on the challenges, learnings, ups and downs, and fundamentals of leadership. Our podcast involves interviews with people across the spectrum of business, public policy, community, athletics, and across a whole range of ages. So enjoy along with us, every guest and every conversation we have. Laugh a little bit, and don't worry, you don't have to be bold to enjoy it. Today's guest is Mr. Jim Hobson, former Director of Education and former President and Chief Executive Officer of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. You know, several schools, you can't be in every school every day. So I had to start relying on on the people around me, and and that was the key, was understanding. um, Hire good people, make sure they understand the vision, make sure they they see what the goals are, give them the support they need, but let them run their schools, let them run the the bus fleet or whatever it is, and, and support them. As we talk about influences in Jim's life and personal battles in leadership, someone about it, uh, free agency the other day. I think you're smartly did a good job. Didn't overpay for skill position guys. Receivers are not where you put your dollars. It's not. Uh, I don't know why that has become the trend, but it's a waste of money. Um, so I'm a little concerned about that. And But I think you smartly navigated free agency. Yeah, just looking at a thing here, a Canadian kid defensive end down at Ole Miss, 66 260 yeah. he ran a four six yeah. six four. yeah can you imagine like this is, yeah. this freak, these are freaks you know that's so, a train running you know, action because he's probably going to end up yep run like that hey, yeah. and and you you had to face those guys back in the day oh yeah but they you know they were they were they were slower then <laughs> They were, they were big, but they were, and the guys who were that fast, they were, you know, they were a lot smaller, so you had some trade-off, but it's, man, oh man. It was like a muffin bumping in. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Let you guys do what you got to do here. Yeah. Oh, and you look great, oh, by the way. Hey, it's, it's great to see you, because you look very good. Yeah, feeling good. Feeling good. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Well, listen, uh this, this one, uh, for, for, for those who are just tuning in here now, uh, welcome to Ball Leadership. Um, I'm, uh, I'm Colin Pooler along with co-host Cavis Reed, and we're really lucky today to have uh, Mr. Jim Hobson. And Cavis, uh, do, I, do I need to, do you have a version of introduction that you would prefer to, to, to make? You know, 
the only thing I will say about the guy is that he is the first real innovator that I think we've had on the on the show. I mean, he literally, I have a ton of questions for him because most people see the Rough Riders for what they are today, but they don't see the hard work and labor that this man and people he surrounded himself with had to go through to build that organization and the creativity, the innovativeness that he had to employ to get it to where it is. So I have a ton of questions. I would just say that he's one of the premier builders in sports. Uh, that I've seen in a very long time because he literally took the organization from the ashes uh, to to international prominence, and, and I think that's to be commended. No, that, that you know for for sure, and and I have uh, you know a lot of the questions that developed for me, uh, Jim, are really along your journey, <laughs> and um, and and if and if you don't mind sharing some of the personal stuff a little bit later, and in, in terms of your personal journey, because we've had a couple conversations mm-hmm. that prior to the show that, that, um, you know, really a resonated with me and, um, kind of hit me in the heart too. Um, so I, you know, so I really appreciate, um, having, uh, having a conversation around, around that as well. Um, before, do you want to say anything nice about Katie? <laughs> There's you nothing. You should give me a chance to sit there and think of something. <laughs> yeah. as well as we'd like but you you on a personal level always always beat me all the way home that someone that i could be around is what you mean see <laughs> well i told you colin no, go ahead. i told you i was a good guy <laughs> now you are, you are. <laughs> yeah. obviously that check arrived before we yeah, got over. No, that's we, all right we, we were, yeah. <laughs> well well um there, there is, there is also, and if it's okay, we can start with the early journey, and then we'll get, and then we want to get into the innovation yeah. side, if, if that's okay. Because I, you know, Jim, you're most known in the in the sports world for what you did with riders, but really more foundation is what you with the work you were doing in education, and uh, both as an educator, but but even how you got into mm-hmm. education and and some of the people that influenced you and. Um, I wonder, would, would you be okay to maybe share some of your sure. journey and, yep, and even absolutely. some going back to high school, some of the conversation yep. you had? Well, for me, um, football and education are, are together. They, you know, they, you know, they went hand in hand with my development uh, as an educator, as a leader, um, as a football player. Um, I grew up in the north end of Regina, the north annex, north of Dubny, and uh, went to Imperial School and Tom Collegiate and... Uh, um, but was not a, a great athlete. Uh, we, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so I didn't do a lot of organized sports. And I, and I was a big kind of uh, chunky kid, you know. I guess you, you know, you could relate to that, Carl. Yeah. We were chunky, chunky in those days. When we wore corduroy pants, you could hear us coming, you know. But <laughs> all yours. <laughs> but uh, you know, I played. Uh, I played the playground sports and uh, and that kind of thing, but didn't get involved uh, in in organized sports. And uh, always loved school, was very good at school, and uh, I enjoyed that part of it. But uh, I ended up going to Tom Collegiate and did not play football in grade nine. And uh, Lauren Schmier was the uh, the football coach, and 
he just started to work on me. You're going to play football. You're going to play football. And Warren is, is still with us, and we're still friends, and I still see him. And, uh, you know, it's funny. People say to me, uh, uh, I've heard you talk about Warren, and you really give him a lot of credit. But I've also say that, he, you know, he was not your favorite coach. And I said, well, <laughs> Warren has a very uh, demanding personality, let's put it that way. And he expected more of those that uh, uh, had had a lot to give. And, no, he was really good for me. And Lenny Lego, Lenny played with the mm, Uncle Lenny, uh, yes. And Lenny, yeah. big yeah. Lenny. And he was my French teacher. He didn't teach me a lot of French, but he, he really – encouraged me to play football I, and, and supported me in that end. I, I, have, a, I have a story about Bo, Bo Schmier and, 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 and well, we called, I called him Uncle Lenny because he said I could call him Uncle Lenny. That's the only reason I said it. It was more like an order with, with, with him. But uh, so, so Cavis, uh, Mr. Schmier, when, when I, and I, I went to Tom too, yes. right? And, and so, um, so I, I I'm assuming, because this was a lot later, so I'm assuming he was probably dialed it back a little bit, didn't feel that way. But he would come out, and he was more like a cameo coach. Like, he wasn't there. No, that's right. <laughs> and, and um, um, because Alex Smith was a head coach there, and, and uh, but I think, I assume that, that Schmier, he, he must have just missed it, uh, missed being out there, because he would come wandering out, and he would, take some of us and we'd be hitting the sleds and he would, he'd have like a smirk on his face, right? Like this kind of this wry smile, like, and I don't know, I, I couldn't read it. Like, is this, is this going to be painful? Are you trying to be kind? And so he smiled as he punished you, but you know, <laughs> but it took a long time to realize, at least for me, that he was actually trying to get the best out of you. But it hurt the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, so Uncle Lenny, I had, or Len Lego, um, a big man and with a really deep baritone voice. Intimidating. <laughs> intimidating. Um, maybe there's stories I can't say on a podcast. <laughs> Some of the people who tried to, tried to take a bot or something. But, but, um, but I really wanted to impress Uncle Lenny. And I think I had him in grade nine for French. And I thought, okay, I got to try to, I, I got to try to make this guy feel like he should like me. And so um, my folks were going back to Jamaica to visit at Christmas. And I said, I'm going back to Jamaica. And he says, hey, um, do you want to, do you want to see if you can get me some cigars? And uh, I was like, cigars, what kind of, what kind of, any cigars? So I'm like, cigars, okay, well, I mean, my family didn't smoke. I didn't, I don't know anything about cigars. But I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find him some cigars. So we're in the markets, and there were like uh, there's like the box of cigars, right? The really nice kind of looking ones. They weren't very expensive. But then in the markets, there's people they were like making them, like the tobacco leaves and stuff. They were actually rolling the cigars, and they just kind of put them loosely into plastic bag. And I thought those are cheap. So I'll get some of those because I'm in grade nine. I ain't got no money. So I get, I get these cigars and then we all come back and we land in Toronto. Well, I put them in my suitcase. Coming through customs, it created all, because they open it up in all this loose tobacco and they don't know what it is, right? Um, is this ganja? Like, what is this? <laughs> and so I had to explain Anyways, it created a bit of a kerfuffle in Pearson Airport. Um, clearly, I have no record now. 
but uh, at the time, at the time, it was a little bit nerve wracking for my parents and stuff because they didn't really realize I put them in the suitcase that way. So, anyways, he was he treated me really nice for the rest of. He gave me a good mark right at the end of the year. So, didn't hang me out the window once. Didn't. So that's all it took was cigars to get better grades. That's all it took. <laughs> you get him some cigars, he seemed to be happy. So. And I learned, I learned a little French. Yeah. Yeah. He was quite the character. Yeah. Yeah. No, miss him. And, and when you got into education, uh, Jim, it's, uh, <clears throat> what gravitated you towards that? Um, once you were... Well, uh, um, you know, high school football really changed my life. And uh, um, later on in my, in my life as an educator, I became a real big proponent of extracurricular activities, not just sport, drama, music, whatever. And the reason I did was my personal experience, but also the research that said, if you want a great predictor of a person's success in life, don't look at their academic transcript, look at their involvement in school activities, extracurricular. And they didn't have to be high level athletes or just involvement. So uh, that was so important. So, um, uh, you know, Lauren, uh, he, he really, he did me a tremendous service because I played football. I turned out to be a pretty good football player and, and we were just a young school and we weren't that good yet. And I ended up playing two ways, all three years, offensive tackle, defensive end. Uh, but more importantly, uh, it helped develop my leadership skills. And uh, in grade 11, I got elected to the SRC, the school council. And I was on that in grade 11 and 12, uh, kind of not that I was ever a shrinking violet, but it kind of brought my personality out, you know, big man on campus, football player and all that stuff. But, but it really got me uh, involved in the school and in extracurricular and, and all those sorts of things. Track and field, uh, uh, I ended up setting a record in discus and shot that stood oh, for, for 30 years. And, uh, uh, you know, I would never have done that if I hadn't had the football. But then I got very, very lucky. Um, um, I, had a lot, I had five different... Uh, schools look at me uh, for scholarships, uh, but uh, you know, I was, I'd never been on a plane, I'd never been away from home, wasn't sure what to do, and I got this letter from Gord Curry, coach of the Rams, to try out for the Rams, and my, my best friend Gary Wilson got the same letter, and in fact, I'm going to see Gary later today, and and uh, we went out, and uh, both of us ended up making the team, we both ended up starting, in fact, from day one, uh, myself a defensive tackle, and Gary a linebacker, and Gary's Five, 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 six, 150 pounds, incredible athlete. <clears throat> so um, uh, I, I, you know, I, I went in at a very good time. Uh, we we uh, did not make the, the Canadian final that year, but in 70 and 71, we made the Canadian final. We won it both times. Gord Curry appointed me a captain in my second year. So I was mm -hmm. a captain for my last three years, played in three championships. But more importantly, Gord, you know, sort of encouraged me to, to be a leader. And, and I still remember the day he asked me to come and sit beside him on the bus. We were coming back from Winnipeg or Calgary or whatever. And he said, what are you going to do? What, what's your plan? And I said, I, I don't really know, Gord. I, uh, I know I want to go to university, but I'm not sure what I should do. And he said, I think you'd be a great teacher, he said. And Gordon, of course, was a legendary teacher and coach at Balfour and Campbell and that kind of thing. And, so I said, well, if Gord Curry thinks I can be a good teacher, maybe I should do that. So that's what I did. I went into education. Um, actually got a standard A, which in those days was just two years of education. 
I got married in 1972, uh, still play with the Rams my last year. Started teaching in Ceylon, Saskatchewan, a little town south of Regina. Oh, snap. Played, okay. played football, came to practice on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Friday, and, uh, um, you know, and just uh, was able to combine that. Then I got <clears throat> even even more kind of good fortune. Um, uh, was asked to go out with the Riders in 73, and uh, Steve Mazurk and I were asked to go out, and uh, so I went out with the Riders, and... Uh, Steve made the roster right from the get-go. I didn't, uh, but I, I made the junior protected list, so I was on the practice roster. And then for the last five games of the year, they put me on the active roster. So here I am, playing football with the Riders, going to University of Regina, you know, all the all these great, and all because of football and, and Lawrenceshire and and Huckleberry and, uh, uh, and and Gord Curry in particular, and. Uh, you know, so it just went from there. I, I, I got my degree, uh, and in '75 started teaching in Lumsden, uh, still with the writers, and uh, and just sort of, you know, it just seemed to unfold. So, you know, uh, the the football w made the education happen. You know, it kind of gave me the, the the confidence, the the encouragement, and and so on. And uh, you know, from there, I I just decided. Well, when, when I, I got traded to Winnipeg after the '76 Great Cup. And uh, they really wanted me to come. Uh, Chuck Liebrock broke a leg. He was a starting guard. And they said, you're going to start for us right at the get-go. Uh, and they called me every day uh, to go. And, and I almost went. They tra actually traded uh, Merv Walker, I think. You might yep. remember Merv. Yep. Pretty good DB. Yep. Uh, um, my, my friends on the riders said that Winnipeg paid too much. And they traded Walker for me. <laughs> You know, you know how guys are in the locker room, and uh, uh, but you know, I decided I really started to see education was my future. Uh, you know, we we had uh, our first uh, our first uh, child, our, my daughter Carrie, and and so I just retired, and it, it probably took two or three years to to think that my career was over. I kept, you know, there was times I'd wake up mm. thinking, well, maybe I should make a comeback, you know, kind of thing, but I didn't. Became a principal, became a, a director of education, 30 years in the business. Can't say enough about, uh, if my if my working life would have ended after my education career, I would have felt blessed. But then after 30 years, writers came calling. I became the president in 05. I, I was in the office until uh, 5.30 on December 31st, 2004. It was my last day. And I started with the writers on January 2nd of of uh, 2005, and I phoned Steve Missouri that morning in Winnipeg, and I said, Maz, get in your truck. He said, where am I going? I said, you're coming back to Regina. He said, and this was like a Tuesday, and he said, I'll be there Thursday, boss. So, and he, we, we formed an unbelievable partnership, and Maz, I don't think he had a contract for at least half a dozen years. We just had a handshake, and and he came and, and was a big, big part of our success. And, uh, you know, great player and great friend. We, he was over on Thursday. We had a visit. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, uh, you know, it's been a great, great run. And uh, the, the thing with the riders, um, never saw it coming when I was younger. But uh, once I got there, I thought, you know, how, how much better does it get? Kid from North Regina, president of the riders, and all the rest of it. Huh? So, here I am. Well.
It, it, it sounds like a dream, Katis. It is a dream. I've been incredibly blessed. And uh, I, I say that, you know, I, in spite of, you know, I got some health challenges now, but you know what? I'm 72. I just turned 72 on Wednesday. And uh, we were over to Moose Jaw, where we used to live, and and uh, went to our favorite restaurant and met up with a bunch of old friends. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I still feel pretty blessed with the way life's turned out. He just had a birthday. Didn't you just have a hey, we, we, we don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I told you I liked him because he's a Pisces. <laughs> there you go. And you know what was neat about my birthday is my mom turned 91 on uh, on January 31st, and she still lives on her own, still drives, and we took her to Moose to be part of the birthday wow. celebration. And she was just having the time of her life, you know, so it's it's all good. Huh? Wow. That's that's absolutely amazing. No, I was I turned half century on Friday, Ooh. last Friday, a week ago Friday, yep, half century. Yeah, so, <laughs> happy birthday. so so Jim, you're you're officially talking to a hundred years of combined knowledge and experience here. <laughs> and we're still not as smart as you, so don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that doesn't mean anything really. We won't make any comments about what the IQ is. Yeah, yeah. Let's just leave it at that. Experience IQ oh, difference. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I really am chomping at the bit to, to get into this journey because I had the opportunity to see it from a, a ground level, uh, the Rough Riders. In January 2nd, 2005, you started this job. You talk about the leadership skills that you built and having someone motivate you to get to that point. Could you please describe to the audience what the state of this iconic franchise was when you got that job? Well, it was pretty, uh, we were better. We had really hit rock bottom in the 90s, the late 90s as a, as a team on the field, as a, as a, as a business, you know, we were down and out and, uh, um, they, the team hired Roy Shivers as general manager, and Roy, to his credit, made the team better, without a doubt. Uh, uh, Roy, uh, you know, a lot of stories about Roy and I, and, and Roy made some comments about me when he left and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I really liked and liked Roy Shivers. Uh, we got along uh, in, in so many ways. I, I love to sit and talk with him. Highly intelligent man. Uh, very... Uh, uh, very opinionated, you know. He wasn't gonna, but but I also there's a side to Roy Shivers. Uh, you know, Roy can be a tough guy, but uh, he had a lot of empathy for people, you know. And, and if he could help somebody, he would. Um, we clashed uh, over two things. One was that he had been the uh, the head of everything for most of well all of his tenure, and with my hiring, he had to report to me, and and he didn't like that. And I understand that. And uh, but he also uh, had a tremendous commitment to Danny uh, Barrett, our head coach. And uh, you know, after watching the team for a year or so, I said, "Roy, well, I just don't know if we can win a championship." But Danny, I like Danny; he's a good man, no no question. And and had a heck of a career after he left us left us in the U.S. college NFL. So, uh, but I just didn't feel we were going to get over the hump. But Roy said, "We came together; we'll lead together." You know and he was very uh, strong in that position, and, uh, um, and and he had his wife and daughters told him, "Dad, you got to get rid of Danny." <laughs> but you know, if you know Roy Shivers, Roy's not going to listen to anybody. But uh, anyway, uh, 
Uh, so that was that was the struggle. But the the product on the field was better. We couldn't get over the hump. We just, you know, we'd get to the playoffs, but we couldn't get over the hump. But the mentality, unfortunately, in the province for quite some time had been more of a, of a well, we're, you know, we're Saskatchewan. We're not going to be quite good enough. And people were leaving the province for Alberta. That we had a we had a very negative. Uh, self-image of ourselves and uh, right from day one uh, when I walked in I said uh, uh, I'm here to win um, uh, there's no reason we can't win we're gonna model ourselves after the best franchises I said we're gonna look at the Edmonton Eskimos uh, and and look at what they've done I did that in education I looked at you know the, 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 the best schools the best leaders and I wanted to do the same and I said so that's the expectation and uh, we're gonna we're gonna win great cups and of course, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't really well received in some places because like, come on, hey, we're the riders, and everybody loves us, but uh, we're not going to win it and that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, uh, and I also there was also um, kind of a Saskatchewan farm mentality of well, we got to save our way to success. You know, we're right. gonna yeah. we're gonna we're not going to spend <clears throat> a lot of money so that we don't lose a lot of money. And I said, you got to spend some money to make money. You got to, we got to give a product to the fans that they want to be in the stadium. And we're going to have, we're going to have to generate some revenues to do that. I think my first year, we had a profit of like four hundred dollars, broke even, and everybody was dancing in the streets. We didn't lose money. We didn't yeah, yeah. Even. <laughs> and so it was quite a turnaround to go from uh, from that to when I left the team. I think we had. Forty-three million dollars in the bank, you know, and so we had to, well, we had, yeah. you know, sold out stadiums and and uh, and of course, winning cures all evils. Uh, it, we, you know, in four great cups, one, two, uh, home playoff games. We hadn't had a home playoff game in it was almost twenty years. Yep, and so, um, you know, we it just you know, the whole atmosphere changed, and uh, we couldn't couldn't have been more positive uh, along that along that journey. What lessons, like what what lessons would you say that that you learned that someone listening to this and and I mean you're in this moment you're coaching Cavus now but you're also you're also coaching a lot of other people listening but what lessons should be taken from that from that window because obviously there were some dark times and oh yeah yeah well I think it started back in my education days. Um, I was a good teacher. I wasn't a great teacher. Uh, I liked kids. Kids liked me. Uh, I, I, I did okay. Uh, but I wasn't passionate enough about it. Um, and when I became a school principal, and I loved it because I then had um, input. I could, I could do the kind of things I wanted to do as a classroom teacher. And mm. I could, I could uh, uh, see programs develop and that kind of thing. So I loved being a school principal. Unfortunately... Uh, I was pretty good at it, and after after four years as a principal, uh, I was the director of education in, in my mid late thirties. And uh, uh, but I have when I look back, obviously I had some success, but my leadership style at that time was more uh, I'm, I'm the boss, you know, I'm in charge, and I'm the guy, and 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 I I always appreciated people and valued people and and, and that sort of thing, but. But was more uh, more focused on what I could do mm. rather than what we could do, and so in my time in education, I, I I began to see that 
to achieve, you know, especially once I got to be uh, the superintendent of schools, director of education, you know, big system and, you know, several schools. You can't be in every school every day. Right. So I had to start relying on, on the people around me. And, and that was the key was understanding, um, hire good people, make sure they understand the vision, make sure they, they see what the goals are, give them the support they need, but let them run their schools, let them run the, the bus fleet or whatever it is and, and support them. And uh, if you do that, if you hire good people and you trust them, and, and recognition, um, I learned that we all we all work because we need to have an income. You know, yeah. we want to make our we want to make uh, our lives better. Uh, we want some satisfaction from the job, but we work for recognition of what we do and the relationships we build. You know, and so that is so important to people, especially once you've been in your career for a bit. And so I really started to, to focus on that. Learn to let go, uh, and, uh, and and my staff would laugh though. They'd say, "Oh yeah, he, he learned to let go. Like he, he he let go to a point." <laughs> but but you know, I did, and and uh, I started doing something uh, early early in my career at central office, where I was about twenty years of my career. Uh, every morning, I'd get to work very early, and I'd start writing notes. I'd write cards. Uh, I had cards printed, and I'd write cards. I'd, I, I didn't like using technology later because it seemed impersonal. So I yeah. always, you know, and I'd, I'd write cards and notes to people about things I'd seen them do to kids, uh, to coaches, um, that kind of thing, showing appreciation. And so that was a pivot for you. Like, yeah, it was. It really was. It was like, and it was, and and it, and at times I thought it was kind of corny, and I said, like, you know, people really appreciate that stuff. I'll tell you about the writers later, and. And then I had teachers retiring, and they'd say, uh, uh, "One of my one of the things I'm taking with me is a shoebox full of all the cards and notes that Jim gave to me over the years." You know, and I'm thinking, "Really?" You know, so I get to the writers, and my uh, administrator when I was a principal, Laverne, became my administrator when I was a director. And when I went to the writers, she came with me, and so she, she was my work wife, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, my wife, Brenda, and her are very close friends. In fact, uh, uh, we're having a little birthday celebration. She'll be there. But uh, we just kept doing the things we did when we were in the school business, you know. And I started sending uh, birthday cards or giving birthday cards to the players and coaches and that. And I thought, oh, I don't know how this is going to go over. But, you know, and Gavis can get this. Huh? Some of the biggest, toughest guys would come in the office. And, and Mr. Hobson, yeah, yes. Thank you for the birthday card. Never got a birthday card from a coach or anybody. And I said, well, thank you. And I'd, try and I'd personalize it. Yeah. So, you know, those little little things of appreciation, thanking people, uh, uh, publicly acknowledging their, their accomplishments, uh, uh, it comes back in spades. just comes back in spades. Huh? Yeah. I, 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 love, I love that because... Um, uh, when I when I started as my you know, first role as a CEO and yeah. and um, uh, an executive assistant, <laughs> who who uh, um, whose name is Ashley, who's actually helped set this up today. But but Ashley and I worked together for a while, and then she moved away, and then um, uh, but in her first years, well, it was just writing letters. There there were like these uh, milestone letters. And so, yeah, well, this this is what happens if you through milestone, if they're three years, five years, whatever a letter comes out. But it was always it was just a form letter, 
And I didn't really feel good about that, so we talked about it. And so everybody, we would write a personalized letter when they hit their milestone. And, um, and it was, she'd set it all up and we would, it would be, we'd, if I had to sit there and think about, man, I really like your shoes, I would write about their shoes. And I thought this is, I thought the same thing. Like, I don't know, does people really appreciate this? And, and like handwritten cards, you know, we get, she'd get some made for me and I'd, I'd write out these cards until my hand gets sore. And it wasn't until I received a letter like that uh, when I reached a milestone, my, my board chair gave me a letter. And I read the thing, I'm like, I'm going to keep, and I put it in a frame. Like, I, I, I didn't realize how much it meant until I got one. Mm -hmm. And because uh, and, I was ready to kind of like, this is getting ridiculous. Like, I'm not, you know, signing 80 cards at Christmas and, and, and all, you know, write, sign all these letters every month, thinking I'm wasting my time when I should be doing something else. And it was such a such an investment. And um, Jim, when you talk about that pivot that you made, there is something about putting your physical hand to something very personal. That's right. It translates in a, translates in a way that you would not normally expect. That, you're right. Um, no, I was a it was key to me and my success. I think um, the other thing I, I did uh, that became a it kind of grew beyond any expectation was I started a coach's barbecue. I, I'm a big supporter of extracurricular and I have them over to my house for a barbecue at the end of the year. And they loved it and they'd come over and we like barbecue. That. Yeah. And then uh, and then but then some of the the music teachers, the band teachers, and I'm a big band supporter and all that, they came to me and said, Hey, Mr. Hobson, uh uh, we got the coaches there. What about the band teachers and the drama? And I said, you're right. You guys got to be there. So we got rid of that coaches notion and we became an extra cricketer. So we went from like 20 to 50 to 70 <laughs> people that come to the house. And we, it was huge. And I, I won't even tell you some of the stories because, you know, it, it, times are different. You know what I mean? And, uh, and we started doing, we started doing more uh, ball games and, volleyball games and stuff like bringing people together outside of the, because uh, we were, I mean, our, our, my school division went from Bethune to Balgoni and Edenwall, and then it grew to include uh, Cupar and Fort Capel and Indian Head, so big area. And so we needed to bring those people together. And so we started doing that. And then I, and then the one that was so much fun was I started a, a barbecue uh, for the bus drivers. We owned our own bus fleet. We had about 70 routes and buses. And uh, I started a, a barbecue for them, and and uh, then then I decided, well, if I'm going to you know understand this busing business, I better learn to drive a bus. So we'd buy buses, and, and two or three times I went to Ontario, and the first time I was like, they're like the director of education is driving a bus back from Peterborough. I said, and it was probably the most fun I had in my career. And and all of a sudden, those guys, uh, I could walk into the bus shop. Hey, and the same thing happened with the, with the riders. I'd walk in the bus shop and the, one of the bus drivers that knew me from Lumsden days would go, Hey, Hoppy, how you doing? Hoppy. <laughs> and the bus fleet supervisor oh. said, It's Mr. Hobson. No, Hoppy's, Hoppy's good. No, that's, no, no, that's Hoppy. That's Hoppy. So, you know, it's, it's those things, you know, it, um, and, you know, with, I, I think about, I, I don't know, today would be very different for me. I, you go through this, mm -hmm. this working at home, you yeah. know, the yeah. Zoom meetings, all understandable and, and good, but um, 
how do you how do you create that team? How do you create the connection? How do you create the memories uh, and the risk to culture? Yeah, the risk to culture. Cu yeah. culture is yeah. that's that's what I was about was building a culture with the riders, a winning culture uh, that would uh, would sustain itself. You know? Well, th this is this is the, the the pivot and foundation I think to where it gets to Cavis's question around creating an environment where innovation can happen. And, and so, Kate, okay, what exactly were you wanting to ask about innovation? Yep. It, it's all those things he talked about is the old adage, people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care about them. You create an environment. All these things show that you got on the micro level to the individual level versus just looking at the whole. And I hope I'm encapsulating this right being a part of the Edmonton Eskimos culture in the, the mid-90s, there was a culture of expectation that you were going to be treated well and then you are going to be expected to perform. But all the obstacles, all the distractions were going to be eliminated for you. You just assimilate into that environment. And much what I'm hearing today, I had the opportunity to work in both organizations, is key. And I, I would love for you to expand on that for all the leaders and business owners and coaches and everyone that's listening, how important to you to spend as much time on the culture because all too often leaders overlook that key aspect. People wanted to be, in the 90s, it was a joke. Please just don't trade me to Saskatchewan. Then when you guys got everything uh, organized and the, the success you built, people wanted to be there. There was that desire to be there. Could you talk to talk to the audience about the importance of culture and maintaining that culture for success. Yeah, I think the, the, the culture, and we're talking about team building and, and positives and so on, but part of the culture too has to be able high expectations within the organization for everybody to do their job and do it to the best of their ability. But I know when I went to the riders, you know, we, the stadium was falling down. We had pails in the hallways when it rained and, you know, heat didn't work and, and the first thing I did was I said, we got to clean up our locker room. Uh, I went and talked to Normie, and Normie was my equipment manager when I was with, oh, the, with, the, Fong, with, yeah, the, yeah. with the Rams. And Normie reached out to me the other day and, and so on. We still are in touch. But I said, Normie, we got to, you know, I said, when's the last time we did something here? He said, oh, about 10 years ago, I got two five-gallon pails of paint donated, and we painted it. So I said, that's enough. And I didn't know where the money was going to come from, but we went in and we... We got at the locker room and, and uh, you know, put in nice carpets and lighting and cleaned up the lockers. And, and just, I said, when they come here, our stadium is not going to impress them, but at least we can have some facilities that they can be proud of. And we were able then to, you know, uh, eventually we we rented a space over in the old Superstore mall and, and got a, weight, a really first-class weight room and training facility and, and really focused on, on doing things for the players, whether it was after the game, families, and, and, and stuff. That was really important that we do that and uh, and not not spend the money on the, on, the, on the front office stuff, but trying to take in the players. So that was important. And, uh, and of course, that new stadium, you know, it, it Second to none, mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. but, but that's part of that whole culture of, of showing people you care, uh, treating them well, uh, uh, letting them when you know, letting them know uh, that we're there to help them if they've got issues and what can we do for them. So, yeah, that whole do it right, do it first class uh, uh, was was so important. And uh, in, in any business you're in, I think 
you know, school business, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, football business. At the end of the day, it's, it's all about people. Thank you for joining us for part one of our episode with Jim Hobson. Please join us for part two as we carry on this incredible discussion.